Hey everyone, and welcome to the Wellness Farm Podcast. This is your go-to podcast for all things wellness and mental health. I'm your host, Ari, and I am a wellness content creator, licensed pharmacist, and functional nutrition counselor. Today, I have Dr. Nicole Avina with me on the podcast. Dr. Avina was the first person to study sugar addiction in the laboratory, and she has actually authored more than 100 scholarly journal articles on the topic. Today, she's the world's leading expert on sugar addiction. She also has a book out called Sugarless, where she not only writes about the dangers of the sugar content in process foods, but she also outlines the detrimental effects of sugar on the brain and body. Her book provides readers with a straightforward seven-step program to identify hidden sugars in their diets, manage their sweet cravings, and break the cycle of unhealthy eating habits for good. In this episode, we talk about all things sugar, how to spot the different sources of added sugar, how sugar can impact our mental health, the evidence that sugar can be addictive, whether artificial sweeteners or alternatives sweeteners are any better, snacks or foods we can eat to satisfy sugar cravings, what supplements to use to stabilize blood sugar, and more. I hope you love this episode as much as I do and enjoy. Hi, Dr. Ravina. It's so great to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking to you about all things sugar and what to look for in ingredients and the truth behind sugar. So it seems like when we go into grocery stores, even the most healthy ones like Whole Foods and Sprouts, there's still certain products that are filled with inflammatory oils and sugars. And even though the packaging may look really nice and um, user-friendly and organic, sometimes there's still hidden things in those foods. So um, sugar seems to really be in everything. How can someone who doesn't have knowledge about nutrition know how to spot the different sources of added sugar? And what are the different names that we should really be looking for? Well, it's such a, a great question. And I think this is really a problem for a lot of people because you know, the average person goes into the grocery store and they just want to get food, right? They just want to buy healthy food. And it's really a challenge these days to understand which foods are actually healthy. And we have so many processed foods that are out there and not all of them are bad. I mean, there are some processed foods that, you know, have some good ingredients in them and they can be healthy, but it's hard to always tell the good guys from the bad guys. So when it comes to looking for sugars, this is one of the things that I really focus on in my new book, Sugarless, helping people to figure out how do you recognize where those added sugars are. So one of the things I really recommend is that people familiarize themselves with the different names for added sugar, because mm. it doesn't just always say sugar. It could say you know agave nectar, or it could say fruit juice concentrate or corn syrup solids. Those are just some of the over 200 different names that are out there for added sugar. So you want to be familiar with what those are. You also want to look at that nutrition facts label because all foods will have that nutrition facts label on it. And if you look at the part where it tells you the carbohydrate content, there will be a subset that should say the amount of added sugars. And that's where you'll be able to see how much added sugar, if any, the product has. And so really focusing in on that number is a good thing to do. Okay, good to know. I know that there are a couple um, apps out there, like the Bobby Approved app. I don't know if you've heard of it, but that's an app that no, I've I been using. Heard of that one. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's actually, there are certain apps I know that are out now where you can actually download it on your phone and scan different food items. But Mm. let me tell you, ever since I started doing that, even places like Whole Foods where I thought originally I thought the food must, all food there must be at least, you know, pretty clean and good for you. Um, Ever since I started using that app, it actually really opened my eyes to really reading those ingredient labels because sometimes the packaging looks so, like I said, just like really, um, I guess, earthy and organic and you think you're putting good things in your body, but then it will just be filled with sugar. And like you said, it's not just blatantly saying there's sugar in this. They really disguise sugar under so many different names. Yeah, it's true. And unfortunately, you know, we have to make sure we don't fall victim to these marketing traps. And it's the case that a lot of times the food companies know, like you can sell a book by its cover. And so if you have a beautifully packaged product that says it's organic, that Mm -hmm. says it's all natural, that says it's plant-based, it has all these sort of buzzwords that people associate with being healthy then people just assume often that it is healthy and that it's yeah. not going to have you know anything that's not a healthy ingredient in it. And that's just not the case. You really do need to be almost a detective these days. I yeah. tell people when you go grocery shopping, you have to, it's like you're foraging in the wilderness for, for food because you yeah. have to sift through the weeds. <laughs> There's a lot, of, so lot of junk out there. And so it is important to make sure that, you know, just because it looks like it's healthy, you got to double check and just make sure that the ingredients line up with the pretty packaging. Yeah, no, for sure. And it seems like so many people are silently consuming sugar without even realizing that it's in their food. So you're the sugar expert. How can sugar impact the different parts of our bodies, including our brain health, like our mental health, our cognitive function? Yeah, this is so important. And I think, you know, initially when I first started getting interested in this work and looking at how sugar affects health, I was looking at it from the standpoint of how sugar might be contributing to obesity. And this is going Mm -hmm. back, you know, many years ago when I was a PhD student at Princeton, I did my dissertation on, you know, how sugar could potentially be addictive and if that could contribute to obesity. And the reason why there was always this concern about obesity and there remains to be is because of the health complications that are linked to it. And now we're learning that a lot of these health complications like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, certain cancers, they're actually linked to the sugar that people are eating, not Mm -hmm. necessarily just to obesity. And so one of the things that we need to be mindful of is there's so much research now that's coming out that's showing that, you know, sugar is bad for our physical health in the ways that I just mentioned, but also in our mental health as well. And I've seen this firsthand with people who I've worked with who, you know, are struggling with maybe low level anxiety or just like low mood and just not feeling themselves And when they change their diet and cut out the added sugar or cut back on it, it's really amazing how much it can improve people's mood and how much it can even their mood out. That's one of the things that I hear the most is that, you know, people get used to this sort of like yo-yo spiral of, you know, feeling like really good and hyper and then kind of all of a sudden feeling sad and down and going Mm -hmm. like up and down all day. 
And when you are able to change your diet to not have so much added sugar, it's amazing how even people feel. And I think that's one of the benefits beyond just, you know, improving our health. And if you need to lose weight, maybe helping to lose weight, it's the mental health benefits that I think really help people. Yeah, I think so too. And the mental health really ties into the physical health because at least for me, back when I was a college student at UC Irvine and um, I was dealing with some anxiety at the time, I didn't really, I always thought I was eating very healthy. I thought I had a pretty good diet. Definitely not how I eat now, just because I'm so much more informed about the ways to eat and the types of food I should be eating. But before I would you know, eat breakfast. And then I would just crash right after I was so tired. And I was like, wait, why am I so tired? I literally had granola and, you know, some milk and I had whatever. And like maybe a side of hash browns and it wasn't anything crazy. But then I found out the granola had so much sugar and like, you know, the hash browns even had sugar, which I didn't even know was possible. So, um, (laughs) so that would like make me crash and it would make me really tired. And then that would affect my mood because I would feel like I wasn't you know, productive enough, or I wasn't studying enough. And then I would, I wouldn't really feel that inclined to go work out. So it was kind of like this cycle. And I didn't know it at the time, but it really started with me and the the decisions I was making and what food I was putting in my body. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that, because I hear from a lot of people that they're actually often unbeknownst to themselves managing their anxiety and their you know low mood with sugar yeah. and a lot of times people don't even realize you know they'll they'll maybe be nervous or anxious about something and you know they go and reach for a sugary snack or something like a, even a coffee beverage the coffee beverages seem to kind of be like the new thing because so many mm-hmm. coffee beverages just have so much sugar in them these days and it can calm you. It can temporarily calm you and make you feel better, but it is really not a good way to manage your emotions. But a lot of times people do it and it's really a way to self-medicate. And I think when people start to realize that that's what they're doing and that that's what's causing them to have these ups and downs and they get out of that, it can really make a huge difference. And people find that you know they're so much happier in the end. Yeah, no, I I totally believe it. How can sugar worsen mental health issues like anxiety and depression? I know that you you briefly touched on it right before this, but what really goes on in the brain? Because I know that sugar can release dopamine in the brain and Mm -hmm. that's why people get pretty addicted to it. So what happens when we keep feeding into that? Yeah, so lots of things happen you know, when we consume sugar, it affects the brain in a way very much like what happens when we use drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so we get this release in dopamine. And over time, you know, we get tolerant to that release. And so that's why we need to have more and more and more sugar. We're craving more and more dopamine being released to make us feel good because dopamine is one of the neurochemicals in reward related areas of the brain that can make us feel happy. It can make us feel Mm -hmm. pleasure. It's rewarding. In addition to dopamine, we've done a lot of research studies that have shown that sugar can release endogenous opioids in the brain. So, you know, we have Mm -hmm. like our brain's own natural painkiller. We -hmm. have opioids that are in our brain so that if we get hurt, we have a way to help ourselves feel better. Right. 
And, you know, just like when you take an opiate, like a drug that is like morphine or, you know, a prescription that is for pain, it affects those same receptors to make you feel better. And sugar can do the same thing. And so that's why a lot of times, you know, when people use sugar to make themselves feel better, it works. And we see this even with kids. You know, one of the slides I often show when I give presentations about this, it's still to this day used in hospitals, believe it or not. You may have heard of this as your work in pharmacy, but sweet ease, which yeah. is basically, yeah. it's for newborn babies when they're circumcised. You know, you can't really, nobody wants to give like opiate painkillers to a baby, but they give them sugar water, which is basically, you know, a pacifier with sugar in it to serve as a analgesic for the pain mm -hmm. that they're having. So it's really one of those things that can certainly, you know, provide us some temporary pain relief, but much like other types of opiate based drugs, you could get hooked on them and yeah. it can be very difficult to break away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What what published research is out there that uh, demonstrates that sugar can be addictive? Well, we've actually done a lot of work in this space. So back when I was in grad school at Princeton, I was doing my PhD in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. And like I said, for my dissertation, we wanted to see whether sugar could meet the criteria for being an addictive substance. And at the time, there weren't any studies on this. It was really sort of this novel idea but if you kind of looked at the media and like listened to people out there who were struggling with their weight or struggling to eat healthy, they would often say that it's the sugar. I can't control my intake of sugar. I feel compelled to eat sugar. Mm -hmm. And so we conducted a lot of research. We're still in my lab doing work on this today, looking at you know the role that sugar plays not only in our health, but also in this addiction response. And so we've been able to demonstrate that sugar can produce signs of tolerance, binging, withdrawal, craving, all the things that we typically see in response to drugs and alcohol yeah. were able to be seen in response to sugar. And we've worked in clinical studies as well to show that, you know, people can experience these things in addition to, you know, laboratory animals. So now, I mean, gosh, it's been quite a while since I've been doing this, but there are, you know, hundreds of publications mm -hmm. on this topic um, because it really is something that I think a lot of people are able to resonate with and can really see that, you know, this is something we need to be concerned about, especially since there's so much added sugar in our food supply these days. What makes it even worse is there's so much hidden sugar. As far as natural mm. sugars go, this is actually something I've always wondered and I couldn't really find a concrete explanation on it. But obviously fruit is filled with sugar and um, in the wellness community, there's a lot of people who will say like, you shouldn't be eating so much fruit because it can spike up your blood glucose and whatever. Um, is that, what's like the truth behind that? And what is a good amount of fruit someone should be consuming every day? And, and also, is there an optimal time of the day where we should be eating fruit? Yeah, such good question. So my take on fruit is, you know, I think that the average American out there, I mean, we have to keep in mind, you know, I think your listeners are probably, you know, very health oriented and very fit. They're probably not the average American, right? Because they're really tuned into wellness. Yeah. The average American, the average person out there is overweight or obese mm -hmm. and they're struggling with making good food decisions 
And they're not overweight or obese because they're eating too much fruit. It's not the fruit's fault. It's because they're eating too much added sugar in the form of, you know, snack foods, cakes, cookies, grain-based desserts, pastas, things like that. So I think for that population that it's not about fruit, I wouldn't worry about fruit. I would worry about substituting out all the processed food and the added sugar foods with fruit. If you need fruit to get yourself off of, you know, all the added sugar and the processed food, by all means, go for it. Because fruit is different in the sense that it has fiber, it has all these other nutrients that are going to be helpful to promoting your health. Now, I feel like there are other people who are probably more in your subset who are really tuned into their health and wellness and they want to dial it up even further. And in that case, then I would say, you know, yeah, they might be using fruit in the way like people use, Mm -hmm. you know, cake and cookies and granola bars. Right. (laughs) And so I think that (laughs) it's really about being in control. I, I don't think that, I think the thing about fruit is we have a built in satiety signal because it has a lot of fiber in it. And so it's kind of hard to overdo it on the fruit because just naturally our body is going to become satiated and not want to have any more. But if you feel like you're having too much, I think that it's better to have it earlier in the day, not Mm -hmm. so much in the evening or later in the day, if you're going to have it. And I would say to eat the fruit, not to definitely don't drink it. You don't want to do juice because juice is really just the sugar that's in the fruit. So we want to avoid just the juice actually have the whole fruit. And I also think it's a good idea to, I know people are really into smoothies and I get it because it's just, they're delicious and you know, it's, it's easy, but it's very easy to throw like a ton of fruit into a blender and make yourself a smoothie and then mm. just drink it down Yeah. compared to if you had to sit there and eat all that fruit and chew it, it would probably, you probably wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't be able to. So yeah. I think if people are struggling with like concerns about their fruit to focus on maybe eating the fruit in whole and not having it as part of a smoothie. Yeah. I, um, I'm a big smoothie person, but I do a lot of green smoothies. So I always make sure, you know, I do like spinach, I do kale sometimes. And then as far as fruit goes, I like to add blueberries and then I like to add half a banana. So yeah, (laughs) hopefully that's Dr. Avina approved. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the banana almost is like a must have because it's really the best way to make it like that creamy consistency, right? If you're going to have it, you know, have that like almost like that sort of pseudo milkshake feeling to it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love a good smoothie and I always make sure to add protein, but as far as you know, sugar goes, if, if we want to cut out sugar and instead, you know, we oftentimes see people use artificial sweeteners, they use alternative sweeteners. Are those any better than just plain sugar? I think it really, again, comes down to what your health goals are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people, who are, if you're struggling with the addiction piece where you feel like you're out of control and you're not able to regulate your intake of added sugar and that is a problem, sometimes those artificial sweeteners or those alternative sweeteners that have zero calories or are low calorie, they can be a crutch. They can mm-hmm. really help to kind of wean you off because you know it, it can be really psychologically overwhelming for people who are eating a lot of added sugar to suddenly be told, you know what, you got to cut back on it. I mean, if you're used to putting like six packets of of sugar into your coffee 
day, which is honestly what a lot of people do, unfortunately, then, you know, to think that you can't have that would be kind of like overwhelming for people. So I think in that case, these artificial sweeteners and these other alternative sweeteners can be a crutch. But I think at the end of the day, our brain still thinks it's sugar. Our brain still in terms of the dopamine and the reward, it's the sweet taste that drives that response. I mean, you know, these alternative sweeteners are interesting because they seem to have different effects on our glycemic response. They have Mm -hmm. different calorie content. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the reward, our brain doesn't know that, you know, it's monk fruit or that it's stevia. Our brain just says, oh, it's sweet. I'm going to release dopamine and this tastes good. I see a lot of brands using monk fruit to sweeten, mm-hmm. you know, their their powders, their protein bars, whatever. What are your thoughts on monk fruit extract? Yeah, again, I think it's similar to a lot of the other sweeteners that are on the market where, you know, it certainly can be better than added sugar because it doesn't have the calories. But at the end of the day, I really think that the problem that we have in the U.S. is that we've made our diet overly sweet. I think Mm -hmm. we've become so dependent on things constantly being sweetened that we just expect everything to taste sweet or to have some sort of sweetness to it. And, you know, it's sort of like this tolerance that we've built up, like slowly over time, it just gets sweeter and sweeter. And I think that's really where we need to make the changes to try to de-sweeten it a bit. So, I mean, I think that, you know, people will often ask like, okay, well, what I want to sweeten my tea or my coffee, like, what should I use? Is honey better? Is agave better? Is monk fruit better? I don't necessarily think any of them are better or worse. I think it's a matter of how in control are you of how much you're using and how much of it you're using. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're using a little bit here and there, that's fine. But, you know, if you just... I think a lot of people are looking for that, you know, oh, just replace all the sugar in your diet with monk yeah. fruit and then you can eat whatever you want. And that's that's just not going to be the best advice. That's not going to happen. Yeah, because at the end of the day, your brain is still getting that that stimulus from the from a, from a sweet taste. So it's not really going to help you in the long run, right? Exactly. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, for most people, that's where the, the angst is. That's the struggle because – we're bombarded all day long with advertisements with, you know, even on like social media, like I'm sure you see this too. Like there's a lot of like what people are calling like food porn these days where it's just, you know, all these videos of people like making all this delicious food and we're constantly being like, you know, that's affecting our brain. Like, you know, just like real porn would affect your brain, like food porn too. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think it's important to just be mindful of that and, you know, be aware that, you know, you want to try to break that psychological addiction that we have so that when you see these primers like advertisements or you walk past the bakery and you smell that cookie, you're not Mm going to feel this like intense compulsion to then want to have something because it'll be so much easier if you've already broken that neurochemical association. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think it was about three or four years ago, I decided to not eat cheese anymore. And I will still have cheese here and there. But you know, before Dr. Ravina, I loved to eat cheese, I would literally have cheese with almost every meal. And so this kind of relates back to the whole sugar thing, too. Because once I cut cheese out of my diet, 
um, even today, I just really don't crave it. I could, yeah. I could seriously walk by a cheese stand or something, and I wouldn't really feel that inclined to go and taste all the different cheeses, even if I see pizza videos on my Instagram or TikTok or something very cheese heavy and it's like showing the cheese being drawn out. I just don't feel anything anymore when I see it and I used to love cheese. So it's the same thing about sugar or bread or whatever or alcohol, whatever you're trying to cut out. It's hard at first, but then once you go a certain amount of time without it, your body won't even want to crave it anymore. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, you know, hearing that I think is really helpful for people because, you know, it is hard in the beginning, right? But the longer the time distance is between Mm -hmm. when you've been having the thing and not, the easier it gets. And, you know, it's almost like, I mean, our brains are malleable and they're constantly changing, but I almost explain it to people as if your brain starts to forget how good the cheese tasted, right? Because you've had so much time between last time they had, you had the cheese and it's the same with sugar. And I've heard this from so many people over the years who have, you know, gone through the process of, you know, changing their diet and, and it is a process. Like I really don't advocate that people do a cold Turkey, just like wake up one day and quit sugar because, it's so pervasive in our society and it's everywhere. And I think that a lot of times when people try to do that cold Turkey approach with something like sugar, it can be overwhelming because, Mm -hmm. you know, you, it's almost like you're, you're going to really struggle because there's so much of it everywhere. I advocate in my book, sugarless, you know, really more of a stepwise approach of, identifying where the sugars are, the biggest sources of sugar in your diet, and then working to reduce and replace them with other things that you enjoy eating or drinking and Mm -hmm. taking a more systematic approach because that's going to be more sustainable and is also going to allow you to have room for failure in the sense that, you know, you don't have to have this like all or nothing approach to your diet. And I love how you said, you know, you don't like eat cheese all the time, but you have it once in a while, right? It's not like you have this like I can never eat cheese again mindset. And I think that's wonderful because that's what a lot of people do. If you set up this sort of roadblock in your mind of like, I can never have sugar again. And then you decide like, well, it's my friend's wedding and I want to have a piece of their wedding cake. Like that's okay. It's okay to have it. It's just not okay to have it all the time. So um, I think that's important. Our mindset around it really makes a big difference. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's so dangerous to tell other people or tell yourself you can absolutely not have anything because I feel like psychologically that makes you want it even more. Whereas if you have a really healthy boundary with whatever it is that you're cutting out, whether it's sugar or um, I don't know, cheese, for example, when you have a healthy boundary with it, you are more likely to stick with that goal because you know that you're not completely restricting yourself. Right. And I think too, you, and I've heard actually even people say this with alcohol who, mm-hmm. you know, feel like they, they need to cut back on their alcohol intake, but they don't want to say, oh, I can't ever have alcohol again. I want to make the decision about what I'm going to do with my, you know, choices in what I eat and drink. And so, you know, when you say I'm deciding not to have that right now, like you're still in control. Whereas, you know, when you put up these, like, I can never have that again, it's almost like you're giving that other thing, the control Mm -hmm. and the power. So I like that idea of really just, you know, 
keeping ownership over your own decisions and then, you know, being able to say like, yeah, if I want to have something once in a while, or I, you know, even with the case of sugar, a lot of times it's people accidentally consume it. I've heard this a lot where, you know, people will have that mindset of like, I never can have sugar. I never can have sugar. And then they'll eat something that they believed was sugar free. And then they find Mm -hmm. out that like, okay, like bacon, for example, that's like a one that often is like kind of curious because, you know, you can eat bacon and it can have a lot of sugar in it, believe it or not. And so if you unbeknownst to yourself, like eat something with sugar, a lot of times people will then feel like they messed up and then, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I broke my streak and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think that's really the best for everybody. I think it's, it's better to be gentler to yourself and to allow yourself room to, you know, make the choice and to just stick with what your gut's telling you. Yeah. When you were actually talking just now, it kind of reminded me that sugar, quitting sugar or decreasing the amount that you're incorporating in your diet is very similar to tapering off of an antidepressant because you can't just quit cold turkey, right? Because you get really bad withdrawal symptoms. And so you have to slowly decrease your dose over time. And that's the same thing with maybe someone who is a you know, drug user or someone who is really ingrained in having a a diet full of sugar, you have to just decrease a little bit over time. And then once you get to your goal, it's a lot more sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, this, it, this harm reduction model, that's what, you know, it's referred to. Mm-hmm. It's where you're, you're working to reduce the harm. If you have a little less sugar today than you did yesterday, then that's a win. You did, you, you did great. Like you, you're healthier today than you were yesterday. And I think that's really the goal is to really just move forward in a positive direction and when you allow yourself to do things incrementally and smaller yeah. steps, I just think it's a lot more sustainable and easier for people to realistically do. Yeah, I agree. If we are craving something sweet, though, what are some snacks or foods that you recommend to satisfy our sugar cravings instead? I know my favorite lately are dates, like the, the mm, date fruit. Yeah. I really like those here and there after a meal because I've always been that person that says like, ooh, okay, like now I want something sweet after my lunch or after my dinner. So dates have been really great for me um, or sometimes I'll have like a little bit of dark chocolate. But what are your Mm -hmm. recommendations? Yeah, those are great recommendations. I think also, you know, fruit. I mean, fruit's a great option too. A lot of times when people are eating a lot of added sugar, they don't realize how sweet fruits actually taste because their taste buds are so accustomed to, you know, the refined sugar that they, they don't actually taste the natural sugars. Like the sweetness in berries doesn't like come out. And so people often find that their sweet cravings can be satisfied by fruit if they've, you know, gone for a bit of time without having Mm -hmm. all that added sugar. So I definitely recommend that. Also, you know, a lot of times it's about having something that, maybe isn't necessarily going to be sweet, but is going to cause you to feel full quicker. And so, you know, for me, it's like a handful of nuts. I know that they're not sweet, but if I am craving something sweet and I'm not, maybe I don't have like a healthy sweet option available. If I have a handful of nuts, it's for me a good way to kind of curtail that craving because you get the protein, you get the healthy fats 
and you feel full from it. It's not like something where you don't feel satiated or you don't feel satisfied. Like I feel like, okay, I just had something that was pretty dense and now Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't need anything else. Yeah, that's a good idea. Something that also has helped me is um, eating more protein early on in the day so that I don't, I don't feel inclined to have dessert after dinner. Having a really high protein uh, diet in general has been really beneficial for me personally. But I have found that also whenever I have a good amount of protein, I'm less inclined to reach for something sweet with artificial sweeteners. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people say the same. And again, it's because, you know, the protein is what makes us feel full and the, and the healthy fats too. And I think a lot of times when people are on a diet that is lower in protein and really heavy on the carbs, like if they're eating a lot of pastas, lots of breads, um, and not really getting a lot of protein, then people usually will say they feel hungry all the time. And that's because the carbohydrates just naturally are not as satiating. They're not going to make you feel as full as you will feel when you're consuming stuff that is more dense in protein or higher in protein. So yeah, the protein is really key. It's funny because, you know, a lot of times when people are like focusing on, you know, avoiding sugar, I often will say to them, okay, you know, you have to flip it around. Instead of worrying about avoiding sugar, worry about going after good sources of protein Mm -hmm. and healthy fats. And so if you do that, you're not even going to be hungry (laughs) enough to crave the sugars. And so it's really about kind of flipping your goals there and it can really be beneficial. And protein can also stabilize your blood sugar levels Mm -hmm. from the get-go, right? So that you don't have those random drops or spikes, which will make you want to eat sugar. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, now that a lot of people are using the continuous glucose monitors just for, you know, everyday data purposes, it's not just for people who are monitoring their diabetes anymore. You can really get a sense of how different types of foods and different combinations of foods affect your blood sugar levels. Yeah. And so if you have, you know, some protein, let's just say you're going to have pasta for dinner, you're interested in having pasta you know, if you lead with the protein, maybe if you're having a couple of meatballs or something like that first, and then have the pasta, you're going to see a lower blood sugar spike from that pasta, because the protein will help to mitigate it. Okay, interesting. As far as the blood sugar goes, if anyone is having trouble, maybe they've already implemented these ideas to have a high protein diet, or they're incorporating healthy fats. If they want something a little bit extra, like maybe supplements to help stabilize their blood sugar, what can they use? And do you find them to be effective? Yeah, so there's been quite a few studies that have been going on over the years on different a couple of different ones. So two that come to mind are chromium mm-hmm. and also berberine. Um, berberine's got sort of this like new wave of interest lately because there's been you know this you know renewed interest in that particular um, supplement. But I think those two have research behind them. And so Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, in some cases they can help. I think it has to be done just like, you know, with all supplements, like it's a supplement, meaning like, you know, in addition to what changes you're making in your diet, like that can be sort of like an extra boost to supplement what you're doing with your diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, 
for people who are looking for that, you know, added extra piece that they can add, those are two to definitely check out. There's a lot of research behind them. Um, and I think that, you know, those are ones that I personally have found, you know, to find that they have the most convincing research out of, you know, all the things that are out there. Yeah, I agree. I love Berberine. I don't use chromium myself, but for any clients that I work with where we're working on stabilizing their blood sugar and making more healthy choices as far as their diet goes, I do like to recommend chromium. And I have found that for them, at least, it has been very useful, very beneficial. I use Berberine every day. Mm -hmm. I use the BrainMD one, actually. (laughs) Um, And I have found that one is, is pretty effective for me as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, it's, it's really about, you know, considering that if we can make a lot of changes in how we approach our diet, then, Mm -hmm. you know, often we can then see that these changes that we're looking to make often will happen on their own. But in some cases, yeah, adding in a supplement can be a way to, you know, facilitate that. Also exercise too. I found that, you know, when you have a regular exercise routine and it doesn't have to be this like, you know, rigorous, like running five miles or anything crazy like that. I mean, it can really be as simple as, you know, having a routine in the morning where you like go for a walk with your dog before you have breakfast or whatever it might be just to get moving. That can also have an impact on blood sugar levels. So there's so much that goes into it beyond just like what we eat and the supplements. Um, I think that the movement piece of it is also a part that we don't often really talk about, but it does play a role. Yeah, it definitely does. Movement plays a huge role in the diet choices we make for the rest of the day, our blood sugar levels, our mental health, everything. So that is, I think think diet and movement are the best natural free things that we can do to just optimize our health and optimize our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It's just unfortunate these days, though, because everybody's so busy and everybody's doing so much. And I feel like diet and movement kind of are the last things that people end up looking at. Right. And it's again, because you do have to put the time in like you you have to figure out ways to like squeeze in some extra steps or get the exercise class in or, you know, go to the grocery store and get healthy food and cook it and plan it out. Like it does take an investment, but I just think, you know, it really, it's an investment in yourself and what like better investment really is there except you like to better yourself. I absolutely agree for closing on the podcast. Whenever I have a guest on, I always ask what is one piece of advice you want to give listeners to help elevate their lives? And it can be about anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be about sugar, but it can be if you want it to be. (laughs) Well, you know, I would say one piece of advice, and I I like come at this because I feel like lately I've um, just been noticing how many like really good friends I have in my life, like people who are like genuine friends. And I really think it's so important that we like tell each other that, right. To yeah. ele- you can elevate yourself and somebody else by just telling that person, like how much they mean to you. So, I mean, I have friends of all different types of capacities and I think everybody does, but some of, you know, I have friends at my gym that are like my motivators that, you know, I only see like a couple times a week 
in between, you know, huffing and puffing on, you know, gym equipment, but, you know, to reach out to people and just say, Hey, you know, I'm so glad that I have you in my life. Like, I'm so happy I get to see you, you know, today, or it was so good to see you. I just think those little tiny kernels really make a difference and it can like really improve somebody's mood. It can help yourself. And it just helps you to see, you know, how important you are to somebody and how important they are to you. I love that. That's the best advice. And it's it's often overlooked because people, like you said, are so busy with their own day-to-day lives. Sometimes we don't even think to send that text message or make that phone call, something small, you know, but those small actions can really make your friend's day or whoever's day that you're sending that message to. So I love that you said that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's about helping, like you said, to elevate yourself, right? And it, it, it can elevate yourself, but it can also help to elevate somebody that you care about too. No, oh, I love that. So as far as your book goes, if anyone who is listening wants to read your book, where can we find it and how can we get our hands on it? Yeah. So my book, my new book, Sugarless is out now. It's available in stores. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Nobles. Um, you can also get it off of my website, which is drnicolavina.com. And it's really a great resource for anybody who's just looking to learn more about the effects that sugar has on your health and mental health and, you know, how you can actionably get it out of your diet and reduce it and help to break that addiction. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I loved speaking with you today. I learned so much and um, I can't wait to read your book. I'm going to get it. Thanks so much. Thank you.